Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The calendar changes tomorrow. Will SEC football scheduling change by tomorrow? Let's talk about it here in the Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Doghouse. Yes, we've been away for a little while, partly because there's been no baseball to cover. Uh, Mississippi State season ended with the regular schedule, of course. We were not at Hoover this year uh, for another year, in fact. It's a little bit grinding to know that I haven't been to Hoover since 2019 now, but maybe someday. As it is, uh, NCAA Tournament Baseball starts this weekend, and Mississippi State will not be taking part in it. Uh, of course, Chris Lamonis' team is busy turning the roster over. Uh, all the players who have already declared for the portal, no surprises so far. Uh, one portal pickup already, a pitcher, which is beginning the number that Mississippi State must pull in while they're also still looking for a pitching coach. All that's going on, of course, but right now, we're here to talk about football. And this is your host, David Murray, and remember that the Doghouse is brought to you by betonline.ag, where the game starts. How many games will start in the future for SEC football? You know, not that long ago, it seemed that nine games was absolutely certain, at least if we judged by the volume of talk on the topic. Uh, it was almost a given, If again, paying attention only to media and fan discussion, that the SEC, starting in 2024, would go to a rotation of three permanent opponents, uh, which in itself made for great debates and discussions and uh, quite a lot of cussing as well, and six rotating teams. Now, let's be clear. Uh, That subject was bound to dominate the talk simply because those who benefit most from going to longer slates, i.e. uninvolved media, Uh, They're not paying for any rights for those games we broadcast, and they certainly don't suffer any consequences. They just want more inventory for themselves. As a media member, I know whereof I speak. But they don't make the decisions. The real decision makers have not put themselves on the record so far. Uh, Some interesting comments now coming out from athletic directors and coaches around the SEC as spring meetings go on down in Sandestin. I liked the uh, very succinct response by former Mississippi State AD and now Alabama Director Greg Byrne when asked about has there been a decision made, and he just said no, and left it at that. A man of a few but firm words, Greg Byrne, but his peers are staying in the same line, of course, partly because uh, none of them wants to get caught too much on record. Uh, Maybe there's an AD who calls College Station home who, if they got a hold of him, would say more than he should, but uh, that's another topic. Anyway, it's it's obviously a tense issue going on down in Destin, what they're going to do scheduling, go to 3-6, stay with eight games and a 1-7 rotation, or perhaps, well, we'll talk about a third option in just a little bit after we run through some of the uh, hang-ups so far and the positives and negatives to both formats. But first, BetOnline is your number one source for all your basketball information, stats, news, and scores. Yep, basketball, as I understand it, is still going on. And you can get your latest odds and lines and latest matchup reports as well for this year's NBA playoffs. BetOnline is your sports intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs. Not just basketball, but you got Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, golf, ultimate fighting, and boxing. It's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting information, including live options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. So, get in on the action today. If you're so inclined, head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to join up and be sure to use a promo code, BLEAV, that's capital B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. 
And the game, and it's not just a game, it is a life or death struggle in some senses for quite a few SEC programs and just another bump in the road for the ones who will thrive no matter what the system is. Regardless, will there be a decision even made this week? Now, keep in mind, the SEC wanted to make that call last spring meetings in 2022, uh, pending the addition of Texas and Oklahoma, which, by the way, was not even absolutely confirmed to take place for the 2024 season until later in the fall. Uh, Fall went on, then into the spring, we were expecting, or at least hoping, to get some input from SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey or those close to him that some final plans have been placed on the table, ready to present to the real decision makers. First, the athletic directors of all 14 schools, Texas and Oklahoma, do not have a vote this year. And then on to those who had the final decision, the 14 presidents and chancellors. Never forget that. The presidents of the schools, the top officers on every campus, have the only votes that matter. Even the strongest athletic directors have to yield to the ones appointed by the respective states or governing boards to run the college. Now, that may seem foolish in some corners who think, well, what do academes have to do with major sports? In some parts of the country, yeah, that may hold up. Not here in the SEC. There aren't many presidents at many schools in this league who could survive being seen as a non-athletics-friendly president. Mississippi State certainly has one in Mark Keenum, who is absolutely invested in Bulldog athletics, as well as the Southeastern Conference, and his work as head of the College Football Playoff Committee. Now, they will take the recommendations, and uh, maybe I should put the word even stronger by Commissioner Greg Sankey, as well as network partner ESPN, which, after all, is going to be paying a lot of the bills in coming years. They'll also get input from their athletic directors and, hey, maybe even talk to some uh, trusted media friends, like there's many of those out there. Ultimately, though, the presidents have to make a decision. But are they going to make a decision this week? All of a sudden, that maybe isn't so sure. Comments by Byrne, comments by our also former AD and friend. Uh, he's still a friend, not a former friend, but uh, former state AD, Scott Strickland, are that maybe for 2024, it doesn't seem like they feel there absolutely has to be a decision made which format to go to, i.e. giving them another year to consider this. We'll get into that later on, but let's run through the two almost given only choices left. Three six, three permanent, six rotation. And as I said, we wasted probably a whole lot of time and bandwidth and energy debating who the three permanent opponents should be for Mississippi State and all other teams. It's easy for us to come up with teams for everybody else to play and certainly for them to do the same for Mississippi State. Ultimately, though, each school submitted their preference list. We don't know for sure who Mississippi State turned in because Dr. Keenum and new director of athletics, Zach Selman, have been quiet on the topic, wisely so. I mean, why tip your hand in case it doesn't turn out as you requested? See what I mean? Uh, Most believe that it would be certainly the uh, permanent rivalry with Ole Miss, then throw in the long-standing rivalry, or at least series, with Kentucky, which dates back to the expansion of the SEC uh, three decades ago, and then Texas A&M thrown in as your third one. Uh, Why the Aggies, who certainly have more than enough teams who would love to be their permanent rivals, i.e. Oklahoma, uh, LSU, and of course uh, up the road in Austin, the Longhorns, is a curious thing. uh, Word up to me, I'd say keep it here in the West, uh, old rival Auburn possibly. Plus, State has a pretty good record against Auburn in recent years, but maybe that's the side. Regardless, 3-6 had so much of the 
apparent, and I do stress apparent momentum about the decision. And there are good reasons for it. Let's be completely honest. More SEC games every year makes for a more attractive schedule on the hold. And to be specific, a more attractive home schedule, or it should. Remember, there'll be those years when you have just four conference games, the next year five on your own campus. And some years, those four games could be stinkers. They may, of course, they include your permanent rivals, but what if your last one was just somebody you didn't particularly care to see? Well, that's the risk you run with some of those schedules. Now, the next year with five, you have better chances. And some would argue in the long haul, it evens out, but Bluntly, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of people thinking truly long haul these days. In fact, we see an example in the Atlantic Coast Conference that they thought way too far ahead when they inked a 20-year deal with ESPN, and now they're paying the price for it with some very unhappy membership that apparently there's no way for them to get out unless ESPN releases them, and uh, that'd be a stupid thing for the network to do at this point. Anyway, there would be blah years inevitably whatever the rotation Uh, Blah for attention, that is, not for winning potential. And yes, call me the resident pessimist, but blah schedules do tend to offer better winning chances for a program that's had, what, one winning SEC record this here century? Roll that through your head. 22 years, one winning SEC record. Maybe you shouldn't be so eager to say, let's start loading up the schedule. I know, there's so many out there who just glibly claim we should, quote, expect more or, quote, aim higher with scheduling. You know, I have a suspicion they would be among the first to bail after a couple of losing seasons. In fact, I would probably guarantee it. But, hey, if that makes me just an old-fashioned, you know, pessimistic type in their eyes, so be it. I have my own opinions, and I've been doing this for quite a while. And whether that makes any difference or not, eh, I don't know. really doesn't matter because I don't make the decisions. But I will agree. There is a chance of having a better overall schedule every year with a 3-6 rotation. And to be completely frank, considering what Mississippi State and other schools are charging for ticket prices, whether single game or season ducats, that's not a small consideration. You know, of course, one wonders if the ticket purchases are already taking a hit from NIL investments, but that's another debate. Point remaining, athletic directors are thinking strongly about the attractiveness of their overall schedule in terms of selling season tickets are certainly selling packages within the season ticket or just plain individual packages as well. That has to be a consideration, and I get it. I'm not a big fan of showing up to watch a game with Abilene Christian or East Tennessee State. I do it because it's my job, and frankly, I learn a fair bit about the team when I see these games, but most fans today don't really come to learn about their team. They come for the entertainment value. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, when you're being charged this much to not just walk into the stadium, but to park, get your concessions, the game times are unpredictable once into the second half of the schedule, I, I can fully see it. You want the best game, in, in air quotes, best game you can possibly get for your investment. So that's, I, I fully understand with what those people are saying, and they're not wrong. Are they totally right? That's another way to look at it, and we'll get into that with the 1-7 discussion. But by the way, what do you do with the Power 5 mandate game that all SEC programs have booked through this decade and further? Now, for four of the Eastern schools, that's a moot point, and I think that will certainly weigh into the voting should it come down to it because, as you know, Florida 
uh, Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky, all play Power 5 mandate games that they mandated on themselves. Their permanent opponents are from the Atlantic Coast Conference, their ultimate rivalry games, at least outside the league. So to them, it doesn't matter if you keep the mandate game or not. They're not going to go out and schedule another one, whereas a Mississippi State would have to go out and add one. Well, in fact, they have already all through, I think, 2031 at least. Arizona, of course, is coming to campus this year to finish off that series. But if you go to a 3-6, a nine-game conference schedule, it just bluntly seems to me suicidal for a Mississippi State program to want to keep on playing the Power 5 mandate game as well, even though, yes, it does spice up the schedule every other year. Keep that in mind. Every other year. It doesn't mean that every year you get to see one of these good non-conference games. That's just how it works out. And that seems to get overlooked by fans a fair bit, assuming that these games will always be on the slate every year. No, they won't. That's just they're going to be home-and-home series. That is simply how it works out. So 3-6, more attractive schedule, better chance to sell more tickets, probably. Uh, One thing that may not prove true, though, that was been assumed, and I'm not sure why, because even as far back as the first edition of Texas-Oklahoma being kicked around and then finally made official, that it would bring in a new bonanza of money for the SEC as far as a network contract. Well, no, it's not, at least not initially, because... For one thing, ESPN's deal starts in 2024 already and is not flexing, as far as we can tell, just for two new opponents. Yes, $60 million will go to every school, that's the reported figure, starting with the new contract, which kicks off next year. But then remember, those first checks won't start arriving until 2025, so let's not get crazy about how state should go ahead and start spending it right now. Anyway, the... Something John Cohen told me, two things he was opposed to the nine-game schedule, at least while he was here. Now, maybe at Auburn he's thinking differently, don't know. But at least when he was athletic director, we would talk about this usually at football practices, that he would remind that uh, extra schedule means nine more losses for the league. So it doesn't do much for the conference strength of schedule as far as the college football playoff. But his other question was, would there be more money from ESPN slash Disney for the extra inventory that an expanded schedule would provide of eight games. As it's playing out, right now, there doesn't appear to be. I don't think Disney is opposed to the idea. They just may not be able to do it right now because, as you know, they're going through some financial difficulties, laying off quite a few employees in other areas uh, to make up for streaming losses. Uh, There's a lot of uncertainty where that's headed. And, of course, their own local political mess with Florida as well. So... Maybe Disney can't do it, or at least can't do it right now. Keep that in mind for later. For the moment, let's get to the 1-7 system, the eight-game schedule. Simply and obviously, it is a better chance of a winning season year in, year out, and thus bowl eligibility, which does indeed matter to Mississippi State. For all who say bowls don't matter, check our interview with Zach Selman from just a couple of weeks ago. He'll lay it out there as his previous ADs, not just John Cohen, but Scott Strickland, Greg Byrne, all of them said it matters for Mississippi State to go bowling. And as Selman himself has said, you know, he played college football, unlike those previous guys I mentioned. He said just having a 13th game is a big deal for a player. Maybe not some of your stars who are NFL bound, 
but the team wants to play. Coaches like the practice. They like being able to use those practice dates to get recruits on campus, by the way, early enrollees. It is also a chance, while you're practicing bowls, you're also watching action in the portal on your own team, who's leaving, who's practicing, who's not practicing, and get a better idea of what you need and what you want during that winter portal. So there are absolutely benefits to bowling. And this holds true that 1-7 is an easier, and of course everything's relative, I didn't say easy, I said easier, road to a bowl game, even if the Power 5 mandate sticks, which I think almost it has to be if there's no expanding. If you stay with eight games SEC, even in a 1-7 rotation, one permanent, seven changing every year, I think you've got to keep the Power 5 mandate game for overall conference strength of schedule and other things. Although I'll also remind, too, that those are generally, not for everyone, but generally home-and-home series, meaning that for quite a few schools, that's a game they're not going to get any TV revenue off of because Fox or CBS will have the rights to the broadcast when the Bulldogs are on the road and so on. So don't don't get caught up in thinking that those games automatically bring in great big bucks either. There's a lot of misunderstandings about where the revenue comes from in college football, and it's natural because when you hear these ginormous figures tossed about, you think it's just dripping money. Well, maybe to some extent it is, But then that pie still has to be sliced up. And if there's no guarantee that more money will come for two new teams, all of a sudden, those slices just got a little bit thinner. And while, yeah, the schools survive, nobody's going to go broke under the system, even if they get a little less payoff, maybe a couple of million compared to what they would have had they stayed at 14 teams. Still, there ain't an administrator out there who wants to give away anything from the bottom line there. Again, balance that against 3-6 and the chance to get more ticket revenue, at least for your home games. But that also can depend on, are they good home games this year? All the fans who say that, yeah, I want to see more conference games, well, what if you end up with a turkey of a year, so to speak, that you end up with just kind of a blah schedule and your Power 5 mandate game is on the road? You see what I mean? That, that is not the guaranteed money people tend to think it is. There's another factor involved in the scheduling, too. And to me, this may lean towards the state wanting a 3-6, even though everyone I've talked to at Mississippi State, if they're not adamantly opposed to a nine-game schedule, they certainly aren't in favor of it. There is a difference there. It means they can live with it, but they would prefer to stay at eight, whereas most administrators I've spoke with just bluntly say, no, eight SEC games is enough for Mississippi State to meet its annual objectives or to have a chance to meet its annual objectives and to keep paying off uh, the the stadium expansion, which began in 2014, and work that's going to be done in the future. Yes, the stadium future is going to be impacted by what the SEC decides to do with football scheduling. And the money is big. I don't think there's an appreciation, too, of just how much money's involved. Let me put it this way. It cost $10 million last year just to put up new ribbon boards. That, think of that. $10 million right there. Wrote the check. And now they've got $10 million more committed to freshen up, repeat, freshen up the existing Westside Grandstand, which definitely needs to be done. But $10 million on things that you will not be able to see from inside the stadium that won't show up on television, that won't do anything to you know, put more fans in seats, 
although it will hopefully make it easier for fans to get to their seats. One of the headaches of Davis Wade Stadium is those narrow gates and tight admissions, especially when people wait late to try to show up for kickoff. I don't know what they can do about that structurally, but that's an example of some of the things State wants to really spiff up. Of course, long-term, they want to do away with the existing central area press box, which was built in 1985, and as long as it's been outdated, even for an outdated media as well, I include myself in that number. We thought one time that we'd be moving to the SEAL building, but that's not so certain. It was to happen this year. It's definitely not going to happen in 2023, but maybe 24 we'll find out where the new press box area is going to be because state wants to turn that prime estate into premium seating, and I certainly, yeah, I'll get a worse seat for myself as a working media member, but I can't argue with it. That's where you've got to gain your money with the premium seating to draw those big-ticket fans to keep coming and to bring friends and also state obviously uses them for promotions and marketing as well. But my point goes back to the fact that right now you're spending another 10 million years this year just to freshen some things up. That's before you start doing serious work there. Never mind what Zach Selman is considering right now about the South end zone. Uh, he was left some proposals and quasi plans by John Cohen who had been looking a long time at making it kind of an entertainment sort of area. That may still happen. I don't know if that's how Selman is thinking. And it all may be moot anyway because with, again, fans choosing to spend money on NIL and having to make the choice, well, then do I keep my Bulldog Club membership or do I even buy tickets for all the season or just pick and choose my games? Uh, If the demand starts going down, then State's got a serious balancing act to figure out. you got to make the stadium nicer for fewer fans. That's just how it's going to happen. And by the way, the fewer fans thing is happening already. Just look across college football. Uh, fewer are showing up and more are leaving earlier in games. It's just a cultural phenomenon that those of us who came along when you only had three or four home games, we wouldn't think of leaving early, even a blowout, because we didn't get to see much football. Now we have a glut of football to watch, either in person on TV, and we've got a little bit uh, maybe jaded in just how awesome it is to be able to go watch a football game and watch your team play and cheer for them. So the money is big. So two, the ticket demand is very much on Zach Selman's mind. He and I talked about that as well. And that's why he's mixed on upgrading the schedule to probably, not surely, but probably improve ticket sales at the same time coming at the risk of a tougher schedule that may make it more difficult to get bowl eligibility and get that extra revenue in. It is not a simple decision he has to make. Of course, the top administration will be factoring into that as well. All this, though, hinges on what the SEC decides to do. Or will they decide? It's becoming possible, judging on comments by the ADs who've spoken up. People, I'm not in Destin, by the way. And I'll just go ahead and get this out of the way. I had a medical procedure last week. That means I can't fly for quite a while. Uh, Probably shouldn't even drive a long distance, especially at night. And enough said about that, the better. But uh, just a reminder for all you fellas and ladies out there, as you start getting up in a few years, uh, have your vision checked. That's just a friendly reminder. It, It can sneak up on you fast. Anyway. I'm having to follow all the news from Destin at a safer distance. There seems to be, repeat, seems, a third option taking shape. A one-off 2024 schedule 
that would tide, well, and Tiger and Gator and, yes, Bulldog, everyone over to 2025 and beyond. They could truly do a one-year schedule, even incorporating Texas and Oklahoma in 2024, and not commit to a permanent system just yet. It can be done. Now, it's not ideal. The SEC, like any other conference, and certainly the network partner, wants more permanence. They want to know what they can do and plan on, and larger point, budget on, for at least several years in the future. And by the way, I think the next SEC grant of rights debate will come towards the end of this decade, so it's not like they're locking things in for just a huge, huge period. But there will be a debate coming up sometime around the end of the 2020s to take effect early the next decade. Still, it, is, it could be done. Now, it's, again, it's not ideal, but it's not so bizarre. Remember, 2020, COVID year. With only a few months left to start changing things up, the entire schedule for everyone in the conference was rewritten. No non-conference games, 10 conference games, home-and-home home set, all balanced, 5-5, five and five, and a path to bowl eligibility made for as many schools as possible, including a three-win state. So there is something of a precedent here that such things can be done. It would not be impossible. In fact, it may, in the longer-term picture, be a little wiser to go ahead and play just an isolated, standalone 2024 schedule while Commissioner Sankey and those in favor of one system or the other, and I think we know which system the commissioner does ultimately come down in favor. We certainly know which one ESPN does, especially if they could get it without having to pay any more for the games. Hey, that's a win-win for them. They'd love to have a nine-game slate and not pay for eight games more of inventory. SEC doesn't like that. They may still go along with it, but it will um, be taking a little bit of a hit. Of course, you see maybe that uh, the Big Ten, who surpassed the SEC in average revenue split, is having a little kerfuffle of their own over some uh, scrambled-up rights that maybe weren't so locked down by the previous commissioner before he ran out quickly to the NFL. So it's, it's fascinating that with so many high-powered lawyers, so many big-money guys who have such a grip on the future can miss details like that, it's still just thinking mistakes still happen. Does the SEC want to make a mistake going either an eight or nine a game schedule in the future? No. They want to get it right, and they want to get it right in a way that, if not voted on unanimously, there are fewer of those votes than uh, are appreciated at least can be prevented as, presented as a consensus, i.e. a nominal unanimous vote, because nobody will come out after a rule takes effect and say, oh, we opposed it. Well, again, I, think, I can think of maybe two schools in the conference that would, but they're a little bit of a loose cannon in that regard. But it could happen. And, and I have another humble suggestion. Yeah, humble doesn't come easily to me, but uh, here's what I, I put it out on social media just for the kicks of it. Uh, and frankly, quite a few state pens seem to enjoy it there. You know, there are quite a few schools in this conference who want the name game schedule so they can keep the secondary rivalries. I'm talking about Alabama, Tennessee, or Auburn, Georgia. Um, they want that second best rival so that they can keep it there because it's maybe not the ultimate rivalry they have. You know, Georgia, Florida, that's the one they'd want to keep. Of course, the Iron Bowl for Alabama, Auburn. And you get the picture for the rest of them. I don't know how Missouri and Arkansas feel because they sometimes claim they have permanent rivals, but I'm not sure anybody in the league looks at it that way. That's another story. 
okay, if you want to play those rivalry games and the SEC opts to stick with eight games overall, here's my simple suggestion. Schedule the game. If you have a secondary rival that you feel is so important cannot be left out of the schedule or left to an every-other-year alternating system, as would happen in a 1-7, schedule it as a non-conference game. It can be done. Turn it into a classic of some sort. Let me look at the opportunities. You could sell it, no much like the Florida-Georgia game, which will stay in Jacksonville despite stadium construction to start uh, middle of this decade. Sell it to a stadium as one of those Labor Day weekend games. Keep your secondary rivalry, but it doesn't count in the SEC standings, and no, it cannot be used for a tie break either. Uh, That's another thing I'm really going to be interested coming out of Destin if they do settle the schedule. What are the tie breaks now? Because the SEC is doing away with divisions. They're gone after this year regardless of what system comes out, unless, of course, we go to a cobbled uh, 2024 one-off. Maybe it will be kept for convenience, maybe not. But... Anyway, if you play that um, specially arranged game, just count it as a non-conference game. Crap, count it as your Power 5 mandate game. <laughs> because it is. You're, play, you're playing a team from Power 5 conference and it doesn't count the league standings. Doesn't it seem so simple? Which means it has no way in heck of happening. But if it ever did, you heard it here first. Anyway, what's going to come out of Destin? Well, just following the reports, and uh, as we record this, it's after 5 o'clock already in the Eastern Time Zone. Um, I'm watching the uh, social media notes from the reporters who increasingly want to get something, anything for some of the ADs. And by the way, some of them have to take off because their softball or baseball teams are getting ready for a play in uh, – the their own national championship events or regional events and they have their soccer and golf track teams others playing in the national championships as well so they got some decision to make really fast to present to the presidents before this breaks up would it be so shocking if Destin concludes with no schedule announcement made other than we're going to keep considering it we've decided not to decide it happened a year ago It essentially happened last fall and last December. It essentially happened as well this past April. What's the harm in delaying it a little longer to either A, turn one or two more schools to your way of thinking. Uh, There could be some pretty serious arm twisting and politicking going on. Or B, just let the first year play out with the new members. Get what the TV response is. Let Disney fix some of their financial issues and come up with a better deal to amend, not not rewrite, but amend the 2020 contract that wishes to go into effect in 2024 and come across with enough new money. I think Disney would be thrilled with my idea of scheduling non-conference conference games because not everybody would do it. They wouldn't have to have that much new inventory to pay for. They would probably jump all over my idea there. Again, you heard it here first. And if Disney does it, I'll tell you where to send the check to for the um, consultation. But still, is it possible? Now, I I do believe they want to come out of the meetings this week and announce something because they're they're tired of talking about it. What did Georgia coach Kirby Smart call the most overrated conversation league? Yeah, easy for him to say because it doesn't matter. He's going to come out in good shape regardless especially if he keeps getting schedules like they have this year, which hey, a lot of luck's involved, but they, they caught a break on the schedule. 
So it's easy for those in the lofty towers talk for the rest of us who have to worry about just getting bowl eligible and keeping the tickets office busy. It's another issue entirely and not an easy decision either way. Some decisions have been made, though. As you saw today, the SEC network partners have come out and announced the first three weekend game times for the whole conference. And Mississippi State, uh, not a bad deal, but not as good as it could have been, at least in fan eyes. The opening game of Zach Arnett's first season, regular season as head coach, Southeastern Louisiana, will be at 3 o'clock Central, and it's on the SEC network. 3 o'clock, yep, it'll be a little warm on September 2nd, but come on, by you can get to the park easily by 1 o'clock. You'll have shot all the dove you can handle sometime in the morning. So just show up and be ready for that Labor Day weekend opener at Scott Field. A week later, it's the mandate game with Arizona returning it from last year. Uh, 6.30 kickoff Central. Yes, there was some sentiment out there that since uh, Arizona and the Pac-12 with their TV partners made it such a late, late kickoff in Tucson last year, maybe State should return the favor. Uh, no, frankly, I would have been thrilled if they'd made it a one o'clock game or earlier because, well, like they say, out in Arizona, it's a dry heat. <laughs> I doubt they're going to be really ready for the humidity they're going to face in Startville on September 9th, but 630 kickoff SEC Network. And now the one that's causing so much frustration for fans. SEC openers, September 16th, LSU coming to town. The presumptive Western division in the last year of divisions favorite. And yes, when it comes to media days in July, I'll be in Nashville and I will be voting the Tigers number one because I think they probably are the favorite of the division this year because simply because we don't know what's going to happen with Alabama's quarterback. We do know what's happening with LSU's quarterback and with some other things about the Tigers. But the kickoff is 11 a.m. Yes, it's on ESPN, so it is a national broadcast, it's not your Jefferson Pilot game. Oh, sorry. That's a flash from the past. But there's a lot of unhappiness out there among the Bulldog fan base about an 11 o'clock kickoff. I understand. It means you got to get there early on the 16th, get set up, and maybe you won't be in prime shape for a kickoff yourself at that point. But neither will the Tigers. Have you seen LSU's historical record when they have to play at 11 o'clock? Especially so at home, but even on the road, they aren't exactly uh, early risers, you would say. So I actually think a morning kickoff is an advantage to the home team in this rare case. Generally, visiting teams do want to play the late morning stop because they get home that much quicker. They, they arrive Friday afternoon, not as much time to kick around the hotel and waste or distract yourselves. In this case, LSU is a different cat entirely in so many different ways. I think State can take advantage of that 11 o'clock kickoff. So, yeah, is it ideal? Uh, would have been a better evening game or at least mid-afternoon game? Sure. But that's the schedule it's going to be. So, I imagine for his SEC opener, Zach Arnett is going to be pushing all the buttons and certainly have his team in prime physical shape for that early kickoff there. Of course, two other game times have been set. We knew all along that the Thanksgiving night battle for the Golden Egg would be 6.30 for ESPN. Oh, by the way, that's another game that all of a sudden is going to be very much up for grabs if the SEC does come out with a new scheduling system. This ends the two-year cycle of home and home that State and Ole Miss both willingly signed up for a couple of years ago. Will it stay on that Thanksgiving night date if the SEC does change it up to a, whether it's an eight or a nine game schedule, how will the rotation adjust? 
I know they want to keep the rivalry games on the last regular season weekend, but that's something to consider whether the SEC would renew that for Thanksgiving night game. So for those of y'all who hate having to show up on Thursday night, uh, still trying to deal with a tryptophan or whatever it is that turkeys infect you with, um, you may have some relief coming. The rest of us actually like this Thanksgiving game. I prefer it on Friday, but there's a whole lot of SEC teams that would grab that Friday date ahead of Mississippi State. So the other time set is 11 a.m. again, but that's on November 18th, and that's probably a good thing. It's Southern Mississippi coming to campus, and that game will not be on live TV. It will be SEC Network Plus. Uh, by the way, State scheduled Southern Miss and Ole Miss back-to-back. That has not been done since 1947, and that was only other example of it happening. So here you have your two in-state rivals playing on consecutive weekends to end the schedule. So you have five game times. The rest of them will be announced during the course of the season. You know, if there is a new rotation, please, Lord, start tightening it up instead of giving a 10-day window. How about more like a two-week or three-week window for when start times will be? Please let fans be able to plan better for it. Oh, and homecoming will be October 7th with Kentucky. I think that's what I wrote down earlier today. You can check our story on the scheduling changes and figure it out for yourself. So what else to figure out? Well, that's up to the SEC as they figure out what do they want to do? What will the format be? What format can they get passed by the presidents? And when will it start? Will it begin with the SEC's new TV contract that goes into effect 2024, which also happens to be the year that the college football playoff expands? And as this grinds on, if there's an announcement, we'll talk more next week about does it really impact how many schools the SEC can put in the playoff if they change it from eight to nine games? I don't tend to think so, but it does seem to be something of an issue with some minds out there. media minds mostly, and maybe I should back off on that just a bit. We'll have that to talk about. And of course, in coming weeks now, uh, the transfer portal opened for baseball this past Monday. We'll have a little more clarity week by week by week, and hopefully a pitching coach soon. It's gone quiet over in the baseball office. Uh, Steve Robertson is checking daily with what's going on with possible candidates, who they're talking to, who they're not talking to. The fact that it's going quiet, at least he tends to believe that means a decision has been made on who to offer in case an offer hasn't even been made already uh, for a coach who almost certainly is involved with postseason play right now and doesn't need the distraction of telling his boss, I've got a new job, while getting ready to set a rotation for an NCAA regional. And, of course, basketball, always there. Paul covering it well on our website with uh, and Robbie Wims basketball, which, by the way, I saw in one calculation had the second best transfer results of any program in the country behind um, the crazy lady down at LSU. I love Kim Mulkey. I have to admit it. Yeah, she's nutso in a lot of ways, and she would make sailors cringe with her language. Trust me on that one. But she's awesome in so many ways. But here, uh, Mississippi State has pulled off a heck of a transfer class to plug in to for the next year. So, Sam Purcell has got a grip on this transfer portal business, and I was doing a radio show last week while coming back here uh, to my wife's house for a little bit and was asked about why it's not getting so much more attention that Zach, that um, that Chris Jans has been able to pull in some uh, transfers but also keep Tolu Smith. And I said, well, when the preseason voting comes out, if they don't have Mississippi State 
in the top six, probably even the top four for the SEC this year. It just means they ain't paying attention. Now, Chris Jans has got something going there in Humphrey Coliseum, which you know, the construction process is still ongoing. We're not allowed to go in for photographs. Mississippi State will provide some off and on. be nice to sneak in there, but uh, yeah, I'm tired of my sneaking days are long, long, long gone. But Dog's Bite days and Doghouse days, they continue. And we appreciate you tuning in to check us out on the podcast today. And if you like what you heard, give us a like on Apple Podcast. How about it? We appreciate the feedback there. So check out what we have to say. And we'll try to get back more regular as more news comes in as uh, this little issue I'm dealing with. Um, let's put it this way. I'm glad I've got a big screen to look at right now because one of the eyes is not functioning quite so well thanks to those dilating drops. Again, no complaints. Happy to be able to see it all. Modern medicine is awesome. And so is being a Mississippi State fan, and so all the more is covering Mississippi State sports for you, the fan. That's another edition of The Doghouse here on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by Online, where the game starts. Thanks for checking in. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.